Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And as you know, and if you've listened before, I, I just uh, love the opportunity to have conversations with people who are doing neat things. Um, whether they're innovators, whether they're educators, or whether they're people just passionate about what they get to do and how they get to help people. And so today I'm with Rachel Druckenmiller, who is, and I love it because we've talked about before, she's the daughter of educators, but also business people. She was a wellness coordinator at a benefits consulting firm and in 2019 started her own company, Unmuted. And Rachel, on your website, there's a quote from you that says, I live for watching people come alive and awaken to what's possible in their lives. It, look, I just want to start with, where did that passion come from? And I think that passion, I think it's really rooted in, you know, where I come from. So being the daughter of educators and entrepreneurs, um, I saw in my own household, I saw my parents defy what should be possible, for instance. So my mother's a financial planner and in that industry, even today, I think something like maybe 11 to 15% of like wealth advisors are women. And my mother was doing this like 30 years ago, you know? And so I saw, you know, a woman in this role that was, that was really being effective and successful um, and carrying herself with integrity. And then my dad is a six time Ironman triathlete finisher. And he was supposed to do a seventh this summer, but they postponing it because of COVID. Um, and so I just grew up in this environment where the mentality was sort of like, why not? And, you know, that was something that I, I think was always in me. I don't think I really fully embraced that myself until, you know, mid to late college. I was just more guarded and reserved. But I think a lot of it comes from just like where, where I come from and, and being in the situation of having come alive myself and seeing people talk about what they're passionate about, see them literally light up. Like that to me just makes me so excited. That's really cool. Cause, cause it, cause it's amazing. Like, you know, that, that idea of passion, it, it's, it's contagious. And I love the fact that you talk about like, why not? Um, but you, you, you in your work and you talk a lot about resilience. And, and, you know, resilience has become um, something that in education we talk about a ton now. How do we help our students? How do we help our faculty? How do we become more resilient people? Where did that interest come from in regards to resilience? And then how has that maybe even played out in your own life? I mean, I think it started from the fact, I mean, growing up, I never, I didn't really feel like I, I fit in. I, I had trouble, you know, connecting with my peers a lot. And so I felt, I felt, you know, lonely more than I think I was aware of at the time. And, and in that mode, I, I just internalized a lot of it. I, I didn't express it. You know, I didn't reach out for help. And, and, um, and, and so I ended up in a, in a place where I just felt kind of like, you know, stuck, I think more than I needed to. And then three years ago, just over three years ago, I got really sick. So a lifetime overachiever performer, pushing myself beyond what's normal and reasonable. And I got um, mono, Epstein-Barr virus, which is an acute form of mono. And I got knocked out in a way I had never been knocked out before. Um, physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally. I mean, I was just like in a pretty low place. And what I learned through that experience was just how powerful human connection and relationships are and how we can't pretend like we have it all together and like we can do it by ourselves, which is what I've been doing my whole life, honestly, you know, like 
I've got this under control. I don't need anybody help, you know, anybody's help. And, and that experience of essentially practicing, I didn't realize what I was doing, but I was kind of like growing that muscle of resilience by, by putting myself in positions of vulnerability, by sharing that I was struggling, by asking for help, by acknowledging I couldn't do everything by myself and by choosing to make meaning. I think so much of resilience is about making meaning out of difficulty instead of being defeated by difficulty, making meaning out of it. So three months after I got diagnosed with that, I was already starting to teach workshops about how to beat burnout, even though I was still in the midst of recovering. <laughs> That's incredible. So. <laughs> it's incredible, right? That the lessons that we get to teach are the ones that we get to live. Um, yes. Say that again. That's really, can you say that again? I think that's really important for people to hear. So, so the lessons that we get to teach are the lessons that we get to live. Yeah. And, and, yes. and, and you, you, you'd mentioned something earlier, it, it, you know, just in that, in that little short com comment about resilience, it's almost like a muscle, right? That, that you exercise and that it, it only, it kind of makes sense as you make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the things that, you know, as, as, as you go and speak to people and as you work with, whether it's individuals or companies, what is it that they misunderstand the most about kind of exercising that muscle of resilience and making sense of it so that they can drive forward and, and, and kind of find this passion for life that you were talking about at the beginning? I mean, I think one of the, one of the misconceptions is that resilience is just about bouncing back. Like how I get knocked down, I bounce back. I get knocked down, I bounce back. Well, Yes, and what have you learned? While you were knocked down, what did you learn that you're gonna to use to strengthen yourself and other people going forward? Because if you just get knocked down and get back up and keep doing the same thing over and over again, you haven't learned. Like, it's like Groundhog Day, right? So every time I've had a situation of something difficult happening, whether it was recovering you know, from mono or more recently you know, being injured in an accident, as a pedestrian and literally getting knocked down, like physically getting knocked down. Um, I think part of resilience is allowing ourselves to experience, like having that self-compassion to, to let ourselves experience a full set of whatever emotions we're feeling. So permission to grieve, permission to be sad, permission to be angry, permission to ask questions, and then an invitation. I view these, these experiences of being knocked down, uh, literally, you know, literally or figuratively, as an, as an invitation to really make meaning of our lives. So human being, we're meaning-making machines. We wanna understand why things happen, right? And if we can't make meaning of something, we get really, we can get hopeless or, or overwhelmed by it. And so even in the midst of what's happening right now, you know, where I'm you know, in, a, in a back brace and, and uh, on the road to physical and emotional recovery from this, I'm still asking the question, what's the lesson in this? What's the gift in this? You know, what, what can I learn from this experience that I can then share with other people who are in a situation of feeling hopeless and overwhelmed and knocked down? You know, so I think, I don't think a lot of people are asking themselves those questions. When they go through difficulty, there's just this resistance to it. It's, it's just like, why is this happening? I can't believe it's happening. I'm so mad. And they don't move beyond that. Hmm. And so I think moving beyond that and choosing to say, yes, this happened. And I, maybe I wish it hadn't, you know, but what can I do with it? How can I use it? And I think that's the difference. It's this decision to do something with the difficult things that happen in our lives, um, that they maybe happen for us instead of happen to us. That's, that's a great point.
because because I think you know even this question that and and I know you're going through this difficult kind of dual difficult time right where we're in a shutdown and then you got you know seriously injured and then making that recovery when things aren't open and maybe things aren't necessarily as available as you know we'd want them to be um but but as people deal with like our current situation and the shutdown and the difficulty of it how how can people you know take time to grieve or how do we create the space to grieve or take that time to to lament what's been lost or to be frustrated and irritated about what's not right about kind of the world right now you might say how, how does somebody because you go in and do this with people and companies, but what would be your encouragements to an individual who might be listening that says, hey, you know what, I just need to create some reflection time so that I can even take myself through this process to, to begin to make that meaning or begin to understand what's happening to me in my current kind of lockdown, shutdown world. Yeah, so I'd say, you know, a couple things. Um, one, a gr you know, grief is not linear. So you may go through that experience of starting with denial, why I can't believe this happened, why is this happening, you know, and then you get angry and then maybe you get depressed or sad and then you try to talk your way and rationalize around, you know, how it maybe could, might not have happened if you've done X, Y, and Z. And then hopefully you get to the place of acceptance. So part of it is recognizing that accepting a situation does not necessarily mean that you like it or agree with it. It's just that you're not going to exert any more effort trying to resist it. So so much of people's, I think, frustration comes from resisting what is. And so that just acknowledging that, I think, first and foremost, to acknowledge that currently we are experiencing, you know, uh, as you know, global community, collective grief and trauma. It's traumatic to have people say, like, shut down, wear masks, you can't hug people. You can't. I mean, that, that, like, totally disrupts what we know it means to interact as human beings. I mean, that's traumatic. So I think recognizing this, the scale of it, I think that's one of the things that's been helpful for people as I've been, you know, doing different trainings and workshops is, is to say, you know, you are not alone. If you are having all of these feelings that you can't make sense of, it's because the scale of what is happening is so intense that your entire being has been disrupted. And so it makes sense that you're having a lot of things happen that in, in you and, and, and you know, within you that, that don't make sense. So I think that's, that's part of it. I think another thing is just, um, I tell people to give permission to your process. So your process might mean that, you know, the first two weeks after my accident, I cried every day, right? I was just, that, that was cathartic for me. I needed to let that out. It's a release, you know? And so that, that was part of my process. Being angry was part of the process, but so was reaching out to people. And so was opening up. And when someone would reach out and say, hey, can we do this for you? Instead of saying, no, I'm fine. I can do it myself. I would, I would say yes. And so I think part of this is being as willing to receive from others as, as we are to, to help, to help others ourselves, you know? Um, and the last thing I would say that I think, cause you're asking about the meaning component of this, there, there's an activity I have people do that, um, is, is really helpful and it's called um, one door closes another opens. So, you think back to a situation in your life where you had something difficult happen. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I burned out and got mono three years ago. And that was like my low point, right? The benefit of that, the door that opened that came out on the other side of that was that one, I became more resilient in the process of getting through that. 
And I strengthened my social relationships and my network and my ability to ask for help and, and let people help me, which now, my goodness, I need more than ever right now. So if I hadn't been working on that the past three years, this season would be so much harder. But because I've been practicing asking for help, receiving help, um, opening up to people, I think that's helping me get through this particular time more effectively. So, um, you know, those are, those are a few things that I would, that I would suggest just asking for the help that you need. You're not a burden. I think people think they're a burden. They're an inconvenience. Their needs aren't that significant. Other people have more dire issues. Don't judge it. You know, um, if you need help, ask for help. So can I ask you a question on that? And I didn't prepare it because it's something that's been, I've thought a lot about, you know, I've, I've got, you know, my own unique journey in some of this, but, but people are quite generous. Mm-hmm. I've found, I've discovered, and people want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is, I've learned, like you're talking about, to say yes to that help. But, but if I am that helper, like it was something I've, I've, I think I've had conversations with, with people is that I want to help, but I don't know what to say or what to ask or what to offer. Hmm. How, you know, and you're going through this, right? Where people are reaching out to you and saying, Hey, can we, can we, can we, if you don't know how to help, what would be a great way of just saying, Hey, how can I step into somebody's life and Hmm. offer something so that they can say yes to it? Hmm. I, I know I didn't prep you for this question, but I, I mean, you know, it's something that I've been wondering about and you, yeah. you, you brought it up right there. And I thought. Yeah. And that's great. Um, so two immediate things come to mind for me. One is there's an author named Danielle Laporte. I've read a couple of her books. And one of the questions that she asks people ask is what do people thank you for most often? That's like a sign of your genius. That's a sign of your contribution. So what do people tend to thank you? Like for me, it might be like, Oh, Rachel, you've, it's like, thank you for you know, being so encouraging and so uplifting and so raw and honest and real. And so for me, that's like, all right, even in the midst of going through a difficult thing, I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm not just going to be Pollyanna positive because people don't want that from me. That's not my gift, you know? Um, and, and so one, I would say to think about what have people thanked you for in the past? That's probably a sign of one of your strengths. And then, um, you know, another thing I would do is all of us have situations that happen where someone comes to mind. I imagine you've had this situation too, Eric, where someone just pops into your mind. You don't necessarily, it's like kind of random. It feels random. Like, why is that? Why am I thinking of that person? I haven't talked to that person in months, or I, I've never had a reason to think about that person before. That's weird. And then we judge it or we feel uncomfortable reaching out to them. And so we don't. And so I think this, a small thing people could do to practice is, um, there's a phrase I like to say, of, you know, don't, don't hesitate, initiate. So when someone comes to mind for you, it's not up to you to figure out why they came to mind, but it is up to you to, before you go to bed that night, reach out to that person in some way, text, voice text, phone call, email, I don't care, however, carrier pigeon, whatever, but that you reach out to them and say, hey, um, you popped into my mind today and I just wanted to reach out and see, and see how you're doing. Um, you know, when, when can you catch up in the next couple of days? I, I'd, love to, I'd love to just catch up. So, something as simple as that, it's a matter, that's to me what it looks like to be intentional, is I think people just aren't intentional necessarily. Um, so that would be, you know, one very practical thing that anybody could do. Um, and then in terms of like neighborhoods right now, there's an app called Nextdoor. 
and they've added some features to it where people like if you have an elderly neighbor right they can list put a list of needs that they have and you could look through your neighborhood and find out right who has needs that i could meet so there are you know technology is certainly helping that these days um volunteermatch.org is another website where you can find virtual you know opportunities to to, to give back and to help uh, and to serve so so yeah those are i think a couple of different options for how to how to go about that Oh, th thanks for for kind of going on that tangent with me for a little bit. Oh yeah, I love tangents. Because it is, I think it's one of those things that I, you know. I, I guess people have asked me just because of the life situation that I've gone through, and they say, "How do we?" And I'm like, "Well, all I know is this is when I've received it well, or when someone's you know done something, you know, generous." And and I love and I appreciate you know just even that simple fact of of like you say is is to free people up to say, what, what have people thanked you for in the past? You know, and then what do you do well that you can offer? Because I think sometimes we try to figure out what the person needs rather than what we could actually give and provide and share with them. Um, yeah, or one more thing I'll mention though. I mean, one thing that happened that was kind of a surprise to me in the midst of this is um, somebody reached out who I had not met before. We were serving on a panel, virtual panel together. And she reached out and said, um, she found out about the accident. She said, oh, Rachel, um, can I set up a meal train for you and your husband? I've done this for maybe like three to five friends before, so I know how to do it. My initial thought was, that's a little much. I mean, you know, you guys have the means. Your husband can theoretically cook everything. If you need to order out, you have the means to do it, Rachel. Don't put a burden on somebody else. Those are my initial thoughts. And within like five minutes, I was like, or you have a fracture in your back and somebody wants to help you and, and alleviate some of your stress. So then I reached out and said, that would be wonderful. And that day we spent 45 minutes on the phone. She put the thing together and my husband and I have had to worry about very little of our meals for the month of May. And it made her feel wonderful. It's like when we don't let people help us, we deprive them of that gift of feeling like they're a contribution, you know? And so, I think that's so much of it is a phrase that might help if people are resistant to helping, but that feels like an eh, icky word. I had a friend that really struggled with people helping her. And I said, well, what if you change the word help to love, or you change the word help to care, or help to serve? People, are, people want to serve you. People want to love you. People are looking for how they can care about you. And so does that feel more okay than people want to help you like you're some like, you know, charity case, right? So I think semantics matter too. So it's like, you know, just even being willing to ask like, hey, what, what is a need that you have right now? Or, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be a grand gesture, um, but I think just being, just being mindful. So much of this is just being mindful and aware of people besides ourselves and, and taking that step to be more intentional. And I think like even on your side of things, it's, you know, as you're receiving it, I think one of the things I've learned is, is just being, being surprised by just saying yes. Yes. You, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's amazing. The relationships, the friendships that, you know, and, the, and then the care and the support and the love that you receive by just, you know what, I, I don't think I need this. I don't maybe necessarily want the help right now, but I'm going to say yes, because here's someone who wants to give and care and love and serve me and it's so it's like you know what I, I i get the opportunity to receive that and you had mentioned that earlier yeah, let me ask one last question because i know you know when we were on the phone last week we talked a little bit about this and and mm. you know and, and it's the you know i i think you know 
as, as somebody who's a cancer patient, you know, and then a survivor and gone through a lot of these things, people will talk a lot about the new normal, mm-hmm. right? That comes on the back end of something. And, and I thought something that you said on the phone when we were talking last week was really, really helpful for me to think differently because it's not a nece- necessarily new normal because that new normal will change too. Mm-hmm. But you had mentioned the next normal. And so, you know, as we talk about resilience and as we talk about some of these things, you know, that we go through, and then especially as everyone's going through this shutdown and this, you know, kind of the shelter in place pandemic right now, uh, how do we prepare ourselves and how do we navigate kind of that, that process of kind of the next normal that mm-hmm. comes when this is all maybe done or finished? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one thing to recognize is that, you know, people are, I've heard people say, when are we going to go back to normal too? Like when, when are things going to get back to normal? They're not right. And, and there's a, there's a guy named Stephen Furtick who I listen to a lot. And one of the things he said is normal is just what we know. So like the fact that running around like chickens with our heads cut off and like, you know, driving over all the time, and, like not having five seconds to breathe and not eating dinner with families. Like, why did we decide that was normal? Like maybe, maybe that shouldn't have been normal, you know? So so part of it is we have an opportunity to reinvent normal right now, right? We have an opportunity to reinvent what's normal. And when I look at the situation right now, my new normal is not back brace, Rachel, right? It's, that's my next normal. So for that next season, that's what's going to happen. So I like to view life as like these seasons. And I think if we, if we thought that way, that a season will eventually end and then a new one will start. Um, there's a, another thing that Furtick says is every, every season of struggle has an expiration date. And so I think it's really helpful to remember that because human beings are incredibly inherently resilient and adaptable as we have evidenced and, you know, seen in the past two and a half months. Right. And so I think a lot of it is just, and people hear this, but having patience and grace, having patience and grace for ourselves and others. And um, there's a phrase I, I, I put in all my trainings that I have people repeat with me. Um, and then it's, you know, I'm doing the best I can, um, you know, with what I have right now. And that's all I can expect of anyone, including me. Or like, I'm, ju- I'm doing the best I can with what I have available to me in this moment. And that's all I can expect of anyone, including myself. And so part of it is that self-compassion of that giving ourselves permission. You know, what would it look like? There's a guy named Rick Hansen. I've, I've learned a lot from says, what would it look like to be for yourself? So what would it look like to be on your own team? You wouldn't be beating yourself up. You know, you'd probably ask for and receive help you know, um, you would give yourself some breaks, you cut yourself some slack, you wouldn't be so nasty to yourself and bully yourself so much. So I think, I think a lot of it is that is just how can we shift our mindset to be for ourselves? How can we shift our mindset to recognize that, you know what, for some reason, this too shall pass can sound trite, but every season of struggle as an expiration date sounds a little more doable for me. <laughs> so semantics, I think really matter. Um, but, but that's, you know, th- those are a couple things that I think of just having patience and grace for yourself and for others. And to find another thing I would recommend people do that I started doing about seven weeks ago was keeping track of bright spots. So every day I write down in my journal, 10 bright spots that happened over the course of that day. And so, you know, what we focus on expands and because I was looking for good things, I, I saw more of them. I had an expectation that I was going to find good things, even after, even in the midst of the accident that I had, it's like, Oh my goodness, I get to witness the generosity of human beings, some of whom I've never met in person before. I mean, what a gift that I get to just see how incredibly kind people can be, you know? 
That's uh, and it is. It's you. You. You do. You surprise yourself, right? When you're actually looking for it. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been doing is on my daily walks, I take pictures of things that I haven't noticed before. Mm-hmm. That you know would would kind of like you know people would find beauty in, whether it's an old car or a flower or a sign or you know just different things. You know, on that order, it's like you know I, I go on my daily walks and I just walk. Right. Do I actually notice and surprise myself with the world around me? And Rachel, this is, this has been so enjoyable for me. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. How can people learn more about your work and learn more about what you're doing? Um, I'd say so my website is unmutedlife.com. So it's U-N-M-U-T-E-D life.com. And then I'm super active on LinkedIn. I put, put up videos every day, Monday through Friday. Um, so that's probably a really good place to, to connect as well. And then I'm on Instagram at unmuted life. Um, and I'm, you know, doing these trainings, these virtual trainings for companies to help them be more resilient and help their people. And it's been such a gift to see how people just feel so seen in this and how they finally, they feel like they had permission to be where they are. And for me, that's like the greatest gift of doing this work is just that people can feel less alone in what they're going through and, and feel more seen and understood. So, Yeah. Rachel, thank you so much. And I hope the back gets better quick. Thank you. Me too. Thanks for having me. This is a great, great conversation.